Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. When he came near Bethpage and Bethany, at the place called Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Just say this, The Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it, all just as they had been told. As they were untying the coat, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the coat? They said, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. And then from the next chapter in the Gospel of Luke. A dispute arose among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. But he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them. Those in authority over them are called benefactors. But it's not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader, like one who serves. For who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And I confer on you, just as the Father has conferred on me, a kingdom. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Many of you will know that the events of Palm Sunday happen at an important time in the life of the people of Jerusalem and in fact all of Israel. It's the beginning of Passover. It's very important in Jerusalem because if you could, you made your way to the temple, the centre of Jewish life, culture, faith, politics, everything. You would go to the temple. In fact, even today, if you go to a Passover meal, if you're invited by Jewish friends, somewhere in the meal there will be a prayer and they will, it will end with next year in Jerusalem. Next year in Jerusalem. That is the great hope. 
The problem was, of course, that Jerusalem was under the heel of the Roman Empire. And so every year at Passover, things would get difficult because the Jews would be saying prayers, not unlike the psalm that we heard this morning, that were about God saving the people. And here they were crushed under the heel of Rome. So the Romans, in the way you would always do this, they decide that every year they will send the troops in. The troops don't normally uh, stay in Jerusalem because it's too much, it's too problematic and too, too much of a, um, a red rag to a bull for the Jews. So they, uh, uh, they live mostly in uh, Caesar Maritima on the coast and they come in in force with the Roman governor in, in ahead of them. And they would have ridden into the, to the city with Pilate on a large war horse, the troops, the legion behind him with all pomp and ceremony. And on the other side of the city, coming in from Bethany, is Jesus on a donkey with a bunch of people waving tree branches. They, the Romans rode into the city in triumph because they had done what they said they would do. They had created peace, or what they call Pax Romana. And they, the, the Roman uh, method for for Making peace was very clear and it was said all the time uh, and, and it, you, you experienced it if you were invaded. It's peace through violence. Violence gets victory. Victory gets peace. If you call peace, nobody's saying what they think or what they want, just under the heel of the Romans. If you want peace, this is how you get it. It comes through brute force with a powerful man on a war horse. This painting on the wall today is uh, from uh, Rubens, Peter Paul Rubens. It was painted um, in 1630s, and so it's a long time after a Roman triumph. Uh, and this is only a small part of it. It's an enormous painting, and it shows a Roman triumph, uh, which was given to a general in Rome when they would ride into the, uh, into the city carrying all of the things that they had won in their latest battle, uh, which would include slaves, and in this case, uh, elephants, which um, certainly in the first century BC were, were an innovation in Rome. They, uh, they'd heard of these incredible monsters but obviously nobody could believe that something that large and powerful really existed. So they were obviously uh, um, not true. It was a myth and then they turned up in a triumph. Um, uh, that was about, uh, about 80 years before uh, Jesus was born. Uh, was the first time a, a, an elephant turned up in Rome in this form. But it was the idea that, that you would show this triumph and there would be slaves in this um, retinue as well. It would all be about showing power. And anybody with any brains at all just sits down and shuts up and hopes to get through. But Jesus is offering a different kind of power in his story. He rides in on a donkey, which is a contrast to Pilate's war horse. He comes from the other side of the city, comes from the back, in through Bethany. The, uh, the Roman governor obviously would have rode through the main gates into the temple or to the temple courtyard. His followers wave palm branches, whereas the Romans would have carried the legionary gold eagle on a pole 
which was the symbol. It's more than just a symbol of the legion. It, there were times when the legion, um, in fighting with other people, would have their, lead, their, uh, their golden eagle captured. And that they, then the, the generals would have to rally the troops and say, we will get the, the golden eagle back because if we don't, somehow the soul of who we are is gone. So it's a very central thing. And they're waving that around. Jesus and his mob are waving around branches. But it's more than just an alternative way of doing things. It's in fact a non-way of doing things. Jesus was talking about a different way of living. So much so that power was no power. It was more than just a contrast. Because whilst a donkey is a symbol of peace, it's also everywhere. Everyone's got a donkey. They're not very important. If you were to say to somebody you had a donkey, it would be like telling somebody you had a phone. I would... You might have a new phone and you could tell me that and that would be sort of... No, it wouldn't be interesting at all, but you know, we could pretend it's interesting. But if you just said, hey, you know, I've got a phone, I would look at you like, yeah. Well, that's it. Just an ordinary common object. Everyone had them. There's no power, no authority vested in having a donkey. And when palm branches were a symbol of Israel, as I've said before... Um, they're everywhere. You don't need to spend money to get a power branch. They're just literally lying on the street. Whatever power Jesus is talking about, it's no power. It's not about a different kind of authority. It's about no authority. Because Jesus was living a completely different set of assumptions. In the Gospel of Matthew, at one point he says, Don't call anybody father or teacher or lord. The, the word can be translated all of those and more because there isn't anyone who is in authority once you start that down that road somebody will always end up with more than someone else just don't begin it and also he said a little bit later on the last are going to be first and the first are going to be last and when you think about it you think well that would be great because the, the people at the bottom who have been so hard done by in any society, will finally be on top. But I don't think he's saying that. It's, circum, it's a circular thing. It goes around and around. So it's like, are you at the front of the circle or at the back of the circle? Well, it's a circle. I'm, I'm just on it. I think Jesus is saying, there's going to be no first and last. There's just going to be people. There's just going to be us. And he did it all the time. He welcomed people from all the groups in society that he wasn't supposed to. He was inappropriate all the time. He spoke to people who shouldn't be spoken to. He spoke to women in public. He spoke to Gentile women in public. He shared water with Gentile women in public. He spoke to ratbags and, and the mob, their version of the mob. He spoke to people in authority as if they were just ordinary people and didn't have authority. When you, if you uh, come here or anywhere else on Good Friday, you'll hear the story of the crucifixion and Jesus' response to Pilate, who was the most powerful man in his region. Literally the power of life and death, as we discover. And he speaks to him 
as if he's an ordinary person. Jesus welcomed children, people of no value at all in culture until they become economically viable. He even healed the son of a Roman centurion. And now here he is riding on a donkey. Whatever story Jesus wants to tell, it's a story that not doesn't critique power with a different kind of power, a nicer version of power, the power that Scott Morrison is offering or the power that the Labour Party are offering. It's not that kind of... And, and we're going to have to choose, and you know, because of our electoral system, pretty much we end up choosing between those two. And we ought to do that, and we, we ought to take that responsibly, and we ought to be glad that we've got the opportunity. And if you hear somebody moaning about the fact that they have to get out of bed and... Um, go and eat a democracy sausage and vote, then speak to them sternly because it is the great gift that we have, that we that was hard won. We didn't have to do much work for it in Australia unless you happen to be Indigenous. But it was hard won anyway. So we should be thankful and we should work hard for it. But this isn't what Jesus is talking about, a choice between a slightly different way of doing power to another different way of doing power, one that's gentler than the other. He's talking about something so radical that there is no power. So people can stand in the street carrying branches off trees that they found on the ground because it's all one thing, it's all connected to it. And it's, if we don't get that, we don't get what happens next. Last week, those of you who were here or <coughs> reading the, the text for last week, Mary anoints Jesus before his death, even before the possibility of his death, because he had a choice, of course. He was heading towards Jerusalem. Mary and her brother and sister knew that there was no way to dissuade him, so they knew what the outcome would be. If you stand up against Rome, you get cut down. There's not really a conversation to be had. It's just so obvious. So she anoints him before his death. They could see what was going to happen. And we can hardly understand Good Friday at all unless we understand Jesus' willingness to not engage in the story of power. Because Jesus is saying at this moment, the way to, to live as human beings is to dissipate all the power and to live as if it were true that everything that exists on the planet the planet itself and the universe in which it, it, in which it is is part of the world of God. Not only the world of God, but the being of God. Something about everything that exists is energised with God. And so the idea that somebody with dark skin would be of less value than somebody with light skin or somebody who is gay less value than somebody who is straight or, or, or any of those ors is not so much wrong as insane. It's not so much morally incorrect as just completely nuts. That is not the way the world is constructed. That is not the way the universe is. And Jesus was going to refuse to live any other way. Because he didn't want to live in insanity. He wanted to live in truth. And he kept talking about truth to his followers. And he wanted them, us, to live in truth. 
And so he goes through the grind that is Good Friday. If you happen to be here on Good Friday, 9.30, on Good Friday morning, we, are, we won't know what to do with this story, so we're going to do what we've done for, for eons. The great tradition of the church is we will read the text as we've received it, and we will listen to wonderful music. We will hear, if you're able to be here, we will have the great joy of listening to this new requiem. Some of, of, some of us heard a little few snippets of it on Thursday night at a concert here. Uh, a brand new requiem that's written for us by Anne Corson, a South Australian composer. And the bits we heard were spine tingling. They were really wonderful. So it's going to be glorious. But the reason we're going to do that is because this is not something you can sort of talk about and explain. It's something that we must experience. So what we will do is what the church will do all over the world and have done for centuries. We won't have too much talking. We will hear the text as it's been given to us in all its confusion. This year we'll hear it from the Gospel of Matthew. And we will hear it sung to us because music can find a way into us that nothing else can. And then in the great tradition of Good Friday as will happen all over the world, we won't say anything. We'll leave in silence. Because we won't know what to say. We don't know how to engage with this in the way we're used to, which is the way of rationality, the way of who's in charge, the way of what, who's responsible, the way of organising the world. We have to go into a, a darkness of Easter Saturday. as we try and engage at a cellular, cellular level almost, what it means for Jesus to live a great truth, that there is no power. The war horse is no more effective than the cult. The standard of the Roman army covered in gold is no more of value than the palm leaves you can pick up off the street. This will be the story we explore in the next week.